Good morning, Cypress Bible Church family. It pains me to admit it, but I am one of the oldies and goldies from way back then. My name is Mike McGinty, and my wife and I were sent out as missionaries uh, from this church 35 years ago. We served in Japan, and uh, we returned back last year, and now serving here in uh, a different capacity, helping others to get to Japan. And we thank you for your ongoing support and care for us. And just also thankful for that worship time and song reminding us of our home, which I want to speak about in a minute. Actually, it's taken me 40 years to get to this situation today I'm now standing in, and that is I'm finally getting to preach at Cypress Bible Church with blue jeans and uh, uh, no tie and cowboy boots. Uh, I hope there are no elders from 40 years ago uh, here today who might send me home to uh, get changed my apparel. And I can't imagine wearing this outfit 40 years ago, but times have changed. I have changed, and so has Cypress Bible Church. And, but it's my privilege to be with you today and to see what God is going to do in our midst. Well, if you're here today, and you are, this is your lucky day. This is your lucky Sunday because today is a great giveaway, and I have something to give you. And I want to give you the means and resources to go obtain your dream home. Now, some of you, all of you probably live in houses, but here is your chance to get your dream home today. So I want to give you an unlimited budget to go and get what you want and think about what that may look like. But while you're thinking about that, I'm going to share with you what my dream house would look like if I had such a budget to work with. First of all, it would be a log cabin. Rowena and I have always thought log cabins were comfy and cozy, and so we would have a log cabin, and it would have no privacy fences. After years and years of living in Japan, staring at the buildings next door or concrete outside the window with no greenery, we would not want any privacy fences. We would have one or two, maybe several large fireplaces in our home and an endless supply of firewood to go with it. It would have a porch and balcony with a view of the mountains, a river, a lake, an ocean. I don't know if such a place exists, but I want it. It'd be great. It'd be a big yard with lots of trees. Trees we did not have in our yards in Japan, trust me. It'd have an outdoor hot tub and swimming pool. And it'd also come with Japanese toilets. And if you don't know what I'm talking about that, go to my blog and you'll understand. It would have a large living room with comfortable chairs, big picture windows to see the view outside. And it would uh, have a workroom for me with building projects and all the tools I could imagine I would ever use. That's my dream home. What about yours? What would your dream house look like if you had the resources to go and get whatever you wanted? But we all know that a dream house is not just a building or a location. It's how we feel about it is what makes it a home. Let me go back one. The Japanese like to take English words and Japanize them, so to speak, and they take the home words my home and make it, here you go, it's a very difficult Japanese word, my homu. Okay, you got that? You've learned some Japanese today. Now they'll take something like my car and call it my car. Or they'll take my personal computer and it becomes my pasacon. So they do that with a few English words. And I want to talk a bit about my home today, my home. And it is something that is not just a house. It is everything that goes into making it a home. And our feelings are what the Japanese say, our kimochi about it, which makes it feel like a home. And you know, you can have everything you want in your dream house, it may still not be enough. It may not be my home or my dream house, 
or what makes a house a home. Because we can live in a very beautiful house, but have a very unhappy life. And some people may live in a very shabby house or apartment, but be very happy and very content. Rowena and I have been married 42 years, and then during that time, we have moved 29 different times. We just had our 29th move three weeks ago, and none of you were there to help us, but we'll call on you next time. But we have lived in tiny apartments, we have lived in a large school, we have lived in a big American house, we have lived in two churches, an old Japanese houses, we have lived in a new Japanese house, we have lived in dangerous neighborhoods, we have lived in safe neighborhoods, we lived in an eighth floor apartment, we lived in the middle of a disaster area, we lived in rural settings or urban settings, you name it, we've just about experienced it. But my family's image of my home is probably a house in Tone Den, which is a suburb of the city of Sapporo in northern Japan. We lived there from 1989 to 1993, and it was a very old and cold house. It was so cold that if you left a kettle out on the stove overnight full of water, it would be frozen solidly in the morning when you woke up. You go to take a shower in there, and there was a solid wall of ice on one of the walls, the outside wall, and so you took your showers very quickly. It was a cold house. But we were a very young family then, and we made many happy memories there, watching our children when they were young grow up. But a dream house can mean different things to different people. What kind of dream house are you looking for? How can you get it? Well, obviously, you're looking for a dream house, you'd watch HGTV. You call Chip and Joanna, and they're not far away, they're in Waco, they're there to help you out. Or David and Hillary, or perhaps Jonathan and Drew. They're there to help you get the house of your dreams, and they seem to promise that on their TV shows. If you're dissatisfied with your present house, maybe you need an island home. Maybe you need a beach home. If you won the lottery, you can have a lottery home. You can love it. You can list it. There's all kinds of options out there for you to obtain your dream house. But obviously, that's not what I'm talking about today, and we're not going to get that kind of house today. But I do want to talk about two homes today, our earthly and our heavenly homes. Let's start with our earthly home. What does Jesus have to say about our earthly home? Jesus introduces this concept of our home, our home in his last meeting the disciples in John chapters 13 to 17, which is known as the last discourse. His final meeting with the disciples, he shared the things closest to his heart and the things that he thought they needed to know. And one of them was about home. And he says this in verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. What kind of home do you live in? Before we dig down into this verse, I want to ask that question, what kind of home do you live in? What does it look like physically? Is it an apartment or a house? Is it old or new? Is it large or small? Is it in the downtown area, suburbs or country? Is it modern or traditional? What about the atmosphere of your house? Now we're getting into more the nature of the my home mood or the feeling of a house. Is it a place of love or anger? Is your home a place of peace or turmoil? Is it cold or warmth? Is there trust or mistrust characterizing your home? Forgiveness or bitterness? Safety or insecurity? Joy or unhappiness? What kind of home do you live in? For some, this may be a very painful question. Because here on earth, there are no perfect homes. Because there are no perfect families. For some, 
the term my home is a very painful phrase, even if they live in a very nice and beautiful house. Some live with an alcoholic father or husband. Some are raised by parents who are never home. Some live in a verbally or physically abusive situation. Some had no parents at all, or only a single parent. Some had parents who seemed to hate one another rather than love one another. And some had spouses who feel like strangers. My home to these people can be a very painful phrase. But we have other pains and problems in our lives. That's why Jesus said in verse 14:1, do not let your hearts be troubled. Jesus said, don't do this. He's meeting with the disciples. He says, don't do this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Because the disciples had many problems with my home as well. Their hearts were worried. They were troubled by many things. There was a lot of unsettledness going on in that room that night when Jesus met with them. And we're told what some of those elements are. We know in chapter 13, verse 36, that Jesus told them he was going to be leaving them, but they didn't know where he was going. There was some sense in that room that this is a critical moment. Something's about to transpire, and they don't quite understand it, and Jesus is going. He's going to leave them. Then we're told in chapter 13, verse 21, that Jesus told them that there was a traitor in their midst. Someone that had eaten, shared their meals with them, that had traveled together, lived together, was part of their intimate group, was going to betray the very core things that they believed in. And then Jesus, on an occasion there, mentioned that he was going to die. He predicted his death. And that had to be very troubling to them. They didn't know what that meant. They didn't know how it was going to happen and when it would happen. But Jesus, on several occasions, going up to Jerusalem for this final time with his disciples, predicted his own death. And then Peter was told that he was going to deny Jesus in this gathering. Here the leader of the group was told that he was going to turn on them and not be there for them when it counted most. But on top of all these troubling things that are going on, they had their normal problems, just like you and I have our normal problems too. And then we know from history that these same men lost their homes, their families, their jobs, and even their lives for the kingdom of God. They knew what real pain was. And Jesus' advice to them was, do not let your hearts be troubled. It seems very simplistic. And it is very simplistic, but it's also very deep because it's what they needed to hear. Because they were focused on themselves and their troubles and they needed to focus on God. Well, like the disciples, we are tempted daily to have troubled hearts. We are tempted to take unhealthy ownership of things that we cannot control, things that are beyond us, things that we cannot provide solutions for, and we are tempted to have troubled hearts about these matters. Because the reality is we are all dissatisfied with our earthly home. We fail God. We fail others. And others fail us. This is the my home we live in day after day. And we long for a better my home where such things will be eradicated and no longer exist. Well, the Apostle Paul perhaps best describes uh, this situation in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1-9, to where he compares the body to a tent. And I'm not going to read all the verses there, and I'm not going to read the very first part of it. I didn't include that in my slide. But this is what he says. We know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, <clears throat> we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, 
not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, for we live by faith, not by sights. Paul describes our life here now on earth as like living in a tent. And we all know a tent is temporary. It does not last long. And he says that is what it's like for our life here on earth. But God is preparing something for us in heaven that is eternal in nature. And it's not built by human hands. But because we're not there yet, we groan. It is difficult to be in this world, in this home that we're engaged in now. And because we're not there yet, we must live by faith, not by sight. We don't see it except through eyes of faith, and we wait for it in hope. An important point that is raised here is that my home is not here on earth. Therefore, I will never feel at home here. Guess what? You're not home yet. You're not at home yet. And that place you will go to afterwards is not your home either. You are not at home here. And don't expect to feel comfortable here is what Paul, I think, is saying to us in different words. We need to realize that we're living in a tent now. But God has a house prepared uniquely for us. We are members of the family of God. But on earth we are called what? We're referred to as aliens. We're referred to as exiles and sojourners in Scripture. When my wife and I went to Japan 35 years ago, we, we saw the line to go to, and we entered immigration, and it says, aliens over here. And we realized that we lived as aliens and foreigners in that country. In fact, the Japanese word for it is gaijin, and it means literally outside person. And we went there, we were bigger than the Japanese. Our hair color did not match them. We didn't have eye colors the same as they did. We towered over them. We did not speak their language, understand their culture. Wherever we went, we were singled out and made to feel as the outside person. And I have a big nose, but the Japanese not say that. The word in Japanese is hanawa takai, which means high nose. And I like that a lot better. But I had a bigger nose than the Japanese. But we were the aliens in their midst. We were the gaijin. But we wanted to put down roots there. We wanted to belong. And after many years, we slowly did. But that was not our home. And this is not our home either. Perhaps this whole situation <clears throat> is very well summarized in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10, where other heroes of the faith are singled out. And the one here is Abraham. And it has this to say about Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. If we know the story of Abraham, we know that he lived a very nomadic life while waiting for the promises of God. And this passage had very special meaning to my wife and I when we were asked to leave our home of Hokkaido in northern Japan after 27 years and relocate down further south to do relief work following the great earthquake in 2011 and the tsunami which destroyed so much along that coast. We were doing relief work, mixing with people we did not know, doing things we'd never done in an area that had been completely obliterated, living in an office building because that was the only housing we could get in a devastated area. And the area, bit by bit as it came back, was basically just temporary buildings everywhere. It was a temporary setting. Everything was temporary. And so we realized that we are only camping here. We are only camping here. It is not just us. Not just us camping. It's, it's everyone. Because this life is temporary. 
But perhaps you've been camping, and this family here looks like they're having a really great time camping. They've just arrived probably. Everything is going well. They like it. It seems to, uh, to be just what they're looking for. But what is not captured in this picture and probably what is not in that little tent that they're so excited about to be there in front of, is there's no refrigerator in that tent. There's no air conditioning in that tent. And there is no king-size bed there. There is no walk-in shower. The food is the only food that probably is in that little cooler they brought with them. And uh, maybe a snake or two that will invade their property or while they're camping. No large screen TV there. And they are having to deal with life on a temporary basis. And they may be happy for a little while, but that's likely not to last because they know it's going to end soon. And this is a reminder that we are camping. And there is something better for us that God has setting up for us. Life is full of challenges now, but this is not all there is. So Jesus told his disciples what not to do in chapter 14, verse 1. But then he goes on to tell them what to do. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't do this. But he says, you believe in God, believe also in me. Do this instead. We talked about what the disciples were troubled about. What troubles you this morning? What did you bring with you into this room this morning that maybe lingers in the bottom of your consciousness and when you go home, it will still be there? For some, there may be minor things. For some, it may be big, life-changing things that cause you to lose sleep at nights. What is there for you? We try to fix these problems if we're able to, but oftentimes we can't. Sometimes we buy something to try to remedy the problem. Maybe get a better house, get a better car, get some clothes, get a new computer. Or sometimes we may do something, travel, may join a club. We may sink into depression. And the more extreme cases may consider taking your own life because my home is not all I want it to be. Well, God's solution for us at these times is to trust Him and to seek His house. Jesus referred to this in one of his earlier sermons called the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 6.33, where he told the audience there, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Jesus says to seek God's home, not to make yourself comfortable in this temporary home that we're in now. And this is not a blanket promise for God to give you whatever you want. Instead, it is a reminder of the home that we should be living for and devoting our lives to each day of our life. But what does God's home look like? What about my home in heaven? What does Jesus have to say that, about that? He goes on in verses 2 to 6 to say this, My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going, Thomas said to him. Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What is this place like? Well, we're told three things here. First of all, we're told it is my Father's house. It is where the Father dwells. And having lost my Father 46 years ago, I look forward to being reunited with him someday and learning about him and, and hearing him and also speaking to him as a man, but also I look forward to being with my heavenly father and relating to him on an intimate level I do not have now. 
But it's also, this place is going to be prepared by Jesus, we're told. Jesus said he must lead to prepare it, which is another way of saying he must die. There's no way for us to gain entrance to this home if Jesus does not leave and die on the cross as a substitute for our sins. This is what he meant for preparing a place for us. And the disciples did not grasp it at that point. We're also told that we will be with Jesus in this place. There'll be no more separation. We will be face to face with him throughout eternity. No need to walk by faith or guess about things anymore. But perhaps our future home is best described in Revelations chapter 21, verses 3 to 7. And there the same apostle John who sat next to Jesus and heard Jesus talk about this eternal home is now exiled on the island of Patmos. And he's given a glimpse of the future. And part of that glimpse is what heaven will be like and what our future home will be like. And John the Apostle shares this with us about what our future home will look like. And he said, beginning in verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. What are we told about our future home? Again, we're told that this is a place where God will be among his people. We will dwell with God throughout eternity. And we're said, told that there are four things that will not be in our future home. There'll be no death. There'll be no mourning, no crying, no pain. Sounds like a pretty good place. Instead, it's a place of life, of joy, contentment, health, peace, and love. The things that we long for in this present life that are beyond our grasp are there for us in eternity with the Father. All things will be made new. Our lives will be new. Our values will be new. Our purposes will be new. Our perspective will be new. And the limitations that we now face physically emotionally, psychologically will be removed from us. And the best news of all, it comes without cost. It's free. And there's nothing we can do to earn it or deserve it. And we will live there as sons. No more camping. No longer will we be aliens, strangers, or sojourners. We will not be gaijin. We will not be on the outside anymore. We will be on the inside. Now this is best illustrated by the latest addition of our, to the McGinty clan, our ninth grandchild. His name is Kai. And he joined our family about a year ago. And what's different about Kai is that he does not have McGinty DNA in him. Now you may think that's a good thing, and I'll leave that to you to decide. Kai is Japanese, and he was adopted. And our youngest son Patrick and his wife Ellen lived in Japan, and they adopted Kai as their son a year ago. And Kai was included in their family not because he deserved it, not because he was better than all the little Japanese boys in Japan they could possibly choose from. He was chosen because of love and of grace. And he is now called their son and called our grandson. 
And He is welcome in their home, and He is welcome in our home. Not because of what He has done. Well, I'm ready to go to this place now. But the question is, how do I get there? And one of the disciples, Thomas, asked that very same question in verse 5. He asked Jesus, how can we know the way? How can we know the way there? We want to get there. How do we get there? We had this situation where we went to that disaster area a few years ago to do relief work, and everything I said, was obliterated. Houses were gone, businesses were gone, even streets were gone. But we had GPS. But GPS works differently in Japan, where if you have a landline phone, and a lot of these people who were getting their lives back in order and getting temporary houses, they had a landline phone, and so we could plug in their phone number, and we could find out where they live to bring them aid to help them, and the GPS would take them to their door. We didn't know the way in that situation, but Jesus says we know the way and how to get to heaven. How do we know the way? We know the way because we know Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, he says. He's not a way. He's not a truth. He's not a life. One of many options to choose from. He is the only way to get to heaven. It's the only way to get to my eternal home. Knowing Jesus means that I believe in Him. Knowing Jesus means that I acknowledge that I'm lost without Him. Knowing Jesus means that I don't believe in myself and count on solutions that I can provide. Knowing Jesus means acknowledging that I'm not at home here. And it means that I need help and I recognize it. A few years ago, my daughter gave me this poster of John Wayne and had one of his quotes in there and says, Out here, man solves his own problem. Now, many of us men like that, and we'd like to live that way, but it's not possible, is it? Because out here, I cannot solve my own problems. I can't solve my sinfulness and the sinfulness of others. There's lots of brokenness in my home, and no matter how many HGTV shows I watch, I cannot fix the kind of problems that make my heart heavy. I need a Savior. So the important question today is, is Jesus in your home? I don't mean do you have a picture of Jesus in your home, but what I mean is life's eternal questions and questions of how to live daily centered on Jesus. Is Jesus welcome in your thoughts? Is he welcome in your decisions? Is he welcome in your priorities in each moment of your life as you go through your day? Is Jesus part of your home? Our hearts long for this home. No seminar that we can attend, no self-hook book that we can read, no YouTube video that we watch, can give you the my home that you dream of. In my pocket, I have a key that's a very unique key, and it opens the door to 15427, learn the address, Pocket Oaks Trail in Tomball, Texas. It's a new house we just moved into three weeks ago. And it will only open the door to that house. At least I haven't tried on other houses on the street yet, and I don't think I will. And it's a reminder that Jesus is the only key to our home that awaits us in eternity. He is a key to eternal life, to a forgiven life, and a meaningful life. And if you've not trusted Him yet, there's no better time to do so now. Jesus is the key for your eternal home. He is my home, my eternal home, and my destiny. Rowena and I returned from Japan about a year ago. To be honest, we're still in transition. We're still getting used to life here in this country that's supposed to be our own. We're aware of this when we go into the stores and we see tons of options and choices there 
and don't know what to choose and a lot of products we don't recognize. We feel that we're in transition when we join people in conversations and they're talking about people, situations, or shared experiences that we're clueless about. And we feel like we're kind of on the edge of that conversation. We, we feel like we're in transition. We hear how values and opinions are expressed here very different than what we experience in Japan. I feel it right now as I'm speaking to you in English and clothes I would dare not wear in Japan and uh, in circumstances that are quite different than Japan. I'm in transition here in many ways. We left 35 years ago and we returned to a different world and we're different ourselves. And that's not bad. It just means we have to get used to it. But the truth of the matter is I'm not the only one in transition here. Because if you have placed your trust in Jesus, you don't belong here. You don't belong in this earth. This is not your home. So don't expect to feel comfortable. You are camping. You're homeless. You're an unwelcome alien here. You are a gaijin. We are not home yet. We will be home someday, but we're not there yet. And I have preached this passage at funerals and even at my mother's funeral a few years ago. And as one stands in front of the grave, it is a stark reminder that this earth is not our home. And this is the powerful message, not for the dead, but for the living, for those of us who still have to decide what our home will look like and where we make our home and how we live there. Something better awaits us. Jesus met with his disciples this last time to help them understand that all they were about to go through was worth it because he was preparing a place for them and it is unlike the place we're in now. So don't dig down too deep in the things of this world. You don't belong here. Don't get comfy because we're not home yet. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have prepared a place for us. It is a place that is ideal for us. It is a place that is beyond our grasp, but our hearts long for it. And we want to live as citizens of this world, remembering that we belong to another world and honor you and how we go about our lives each day. We ask that we might have this mindset as we go through life here now and keep our focus on eternity. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.